morning, Illuminate. As always, so great to be with you guys. Uh, before we get into it, a couple of quick announcements. But first, let me say welcome, especially as Pastor Chris said, to those of you who are with us for the first time. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors on staff. And if I haven't had the opportunity to meet you yet, I would really appreciate that opportunity. Right after the service, I'll be hanging out right down here on the side of the stage. If you have a minute, uh, come say hello. Just a couple of announcements real quick. Uh, we, uh, well, here's the deal. The reality is, uh, if you check your mail, uh, your snail mail, you know that you are getting a ton of end-of-the-year letters, right? You've probably gotten a bunch already. Uh, set all those aside because you're going to get one from me this week, okay? That's the important one. Don't worry about those others. Just pay attention to the one you're going to get addressed from me this week. 2021 has been just an incredible year for us as a church. Super, super humbling. God's faithfulness, all that he has done to us, and through us as a congregation, we really want to finish the year strong. And I've outlined a couple ways for you to help participate with us in that this year. So be looking for that. Secondly, for those of you who are 55 plus. All right. <laughs> no shame. No shame. I'm going to be there in a, in, a, in a few years. If you don't know already, we have this amazing group called Cornerstone. One of the biggest events of the year that they put on is their Christmas party, and that's coming up this Friday at 6 o'clock. They've got some very special musical entertainment as well as they're going to feed everybody a really nice catered dinner. So they're just asking for you to RSVP to that, and you can do that by hitting that uh, little uh, QR code on the back of the seat there in front of you. Look for Cornerstone Events. You can sign up there or through our website, illuminatecommunity.com as well. And then last, certainly not least, somewhere around the seat there in front of you is our little invite for our Christmas Eve services. Super excited about this. Want to get that in your hands and ask you just to pray over it. You know, every single one of us, we've got someone in our lives that needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's the thing that's, um, that I'm most excited about for our services is the gospel is going to be explained so clearly. And as always, we want our guests to feel the warmth of the Illuminate family. And you guys are so good at that. And so the campus is going to be a really special place for those Christmas Eve services. So take that card and be praying about that. All right, so as Chris said, we are in week two of our Advent series. And if you're a little bit new, we've been going a, a, a route that's a little bit untraditional. In other words, typically when it comes to Advent season, you'll hear a message about love, grace, hope, mercy, things like that. But we're not doing that this year. Instead, we're focusing on the titles that are applied to Jesus. We're asking the question, so what? What does it mean, the incarnation, which is just a big word that theologians use to describe the fact that God came in human flesh and dwelt among us? What does that mean? Well, the various authors throughout the Bible, they assign specific titles to Jesus, prophet, priest, king, and savior. What does that mean for you and I this season and beyond? So there's this guy that was very, very close to Jesus, how close was he? Well, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he looked at this individual, his name was John, and he said, I'm about to leave the earth. Will you take care of my mom? So 
the person that you look to to take care of your mother is a really special and important person in your life. That was John. He had a front row seat to the life of Jesus. And he actually writes a biography of the life of Jesus. And he begins it in a really, really interesting way. It's like he draws the lens way back. He says, if we're going to talk about Jesus, here's what you need to understand about him first and foremost. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the word. We talked about this last week, how for a Jewish reader, in the beginning, in the beginning. Oh, okay, that's how the book of Genesis starts. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We're going to study the book of Genesis at the first of the year. And the theme of the book is wrapped up in the name Genesis, generations, beginnings, origins. It describes God's intention for the world as he created it. God's intention for human relationships, our relationship with him. Uh, his intention for the world. All of those things, they're described. This is why you can actually, you can, uh, you can outline the book of Genesis according to the genealogies that are listed. That's why in certain sections, you'll read something like, this is the genealogy of this, genealogy, Genesis. That's, it's a book of origins. Our world is very confused about origins right now. Our world is confused about intentionality, the way that God designed things, how they operate. The book of Genesis answers those questions. So in the mindset of a Jewish reader, in the beginning, he's taking them back to Genesis chapter 1. They said, yeah, that's the time period I'm talking about, the beginning of time. In the beginning was this thing called the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, so got to be a little bit more specific here. Exactly who is this Word? Well, drop down to verse 14. And the Word became flesh took on flesh and blood. He's talking about the birth of Jesus. And he dwelt among us. But it got real personal. We saw his glory. And it was the kind of glory that could only be from the Father, like a son. And he was full of grace and truth. You learn a lot about Jesus through the descriptions given. This is a great one. Jesus was full of grace and truth. Grace is what makes truth acceptable. Don't we know this to be true? Sometimes we have a hard time acting on this. Christians have truth. That is God's truth. But a lot of times people don't want to listen to our truth because it's not delivered in a gracious way. Why is it that people always wanted to hear what Jesus had to say? The religious people didn't because he posed a threat to them. But the down and out, the marginalized, those who recognized that there was something wrong with them, they wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. And sometimes he spoke really hard truths. To the woman at the well, he said, go your way and sin no more. Jesus was never soft on sin, but he was super gentle with the sinner. Grace and truth. You learn a lot about a person through their title. Someone might introduce themselves to you as a physician or an electrician or a pastor, whatever that title is, immediately you begin to think certain thoughts about that person. And so when the author of Hebrews talks about Jesus, he says, well, let me, let me just tell you the roles that he plays. He has the title of prophet. We talked about that last week. Jesus is a super unique prophet because not only did he foretell of future events, but then he actually fulfilled them, most specifically when he talked about his death, burial, and resurrection. It's one thing just to talk about that, st that stuff and say, uh, you know, Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be crucified and be in the ground for three days, and then I'm, I'm, I'm walking out of that tomb. Those are big words, but then Christianity should not be here. Christianity should not be a thing. It should not exist. Had everything going against it. Jesus' earliest followers doubted his own half-brother. Because Jesus was begotten of a virgin, his half-brother, James, he writes a book about Jesus. You don't get to that point. James, James the half-brother of Jesus, calls Jesus his savior. 
I have three brothers. I guarantee you not one of them is my savior. <laughs> what does it take? What would it take? It would take, one of my brothers would have to die and come back from the grave. And even then I'm questioning him. <laughs> James writes and he says, let me tell you who Jesus is. He's my, he's my Lord and savior. It was the resurrection that proved everything Jesus said about himself was true. Christianity should not be a thing, it shouldn't be here. Something happened, something happened. So it's, 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 it's quite amazing, these titles, when you flesh them out and you understand prophet, priest, king, and savior. Not only did he prophesy about his own resurrection, but he fulfilled it. No other previous prophet had done something like that. So this morning we're focusing on this idea of priest. And in order to do this, we're gonna look at the book of Hebrews. Now, every pastor, every teaching pastor, right? You've heard me say many times, has a fantasy. You know what, remember what teaching pastors fantasize about? We fantasize that y'all remember things that we say. So I'm just gonna assume that you remember some things from 11 months ago when, when we were in the book of Hebrews. Y'all remember that? You do good, great, great. Because the author of Hebrews reminds us what this means for Jesus to be a priest. We're kind of far removed from that. Some of you maybe come from a Catholic tradition, you have an idea of a priest, or you maybe come from a uh, uh, Jewish background, you understand the concept of a, of a rabbi. This is different. This is different. Now, the author of Hebrews writes to a group of believers, really interesting group. They are essentially Jews who have embraced Jesus as the Messiah. They're Jews who really understand all those Old Testament prophecies about a forthcoming Messiah, how he would be born of a virgin, where he would be born, Bethlehem, that he would be from the line of David. This is why Matthew, Luke, they begin their accounts tracing the lineage, the genealogy of Jesus. The manner in which he would die, Isaiah 53, describing death by crucifixion 700 years before crucifixion was a thing. So they're looking at their Old Testament, the Bible was the Bible of Jesus' day, that was the Bible Jesus would have had, and they're like, oh, okay, we see it. Oh. Oh, okay. Jesus fulfilled every single one of these. So they recognize Jesus as the Messiah. So they are Jews who have embraced Jesus. Awesome. Mm. It kind of wasn't kosher to be a Jesus-believing Jew. Persecution sets in. The author tells us that some of these early believers are losing their homes, their land is being plundered, Shortly, this maniac named Nero will rise to power, and then it's the death of the Christians. It's getting very difficult. So he writes in an effort to encourage them. You need encouragement this morning, brothers and sisters. You need encouragement. This text is going to encourage you. It's going to help us understand Jesus' role as priest and what that means. So he really paints this beautiful picture. And he begins with this, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5. He says, for it was not to angels that God has subjected, not this world, but we're talking about the world to come. This is not all there is. There is a world to come. There will be a recreation of things. For it was not angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. So he begins talking about angels because back in the day in the Jewish mindset, it's like it went from, from God to the angels to everybody else. Angels were there in the beginning of, of history, human history. Um, angels do God's bidding. The word angel literally means messenger. So there's a really lofty view of angels. But he says, you know, the world to come Angels are not subjected to them. 
to that. And then to illustrate this point, he quotes Psalm 8. He says, verse 6, it has been testified somewhere. He knows exactly where because he quotes Psalm 8 word for word. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or what is the son of man, that's the title referring to humanity, that God, that you would care for him? Because you, you made us, at least for a little while, you made us lower than the angels. Angels are a higher order of created being. We've, we've talked about this in our study. Um, it seems like angels move at the speed of thought. That's quicker than the speed of light. Uh, angels, or it only took two angels to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Whenever angels show up, like when angels announced the birth of Jesus, what happened? The shepherds like, and the angels have to always say, hey, don't be afraid. I know we're awesome creatures. Don't be afraid. So for, it says just for a little while, which the implication is that it's not always going to be this way, that we are lower than angels. But just for a little while, which is a crazy thought, you have crowned him, mankind, with glory and honor. Well, how? In what sense? He goes on and he tells you. You put everything in subjection under man's feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to man, God left nothing outside his control. Then you get this reality check. However, at present, we don't yet see everything in subjection to him, to man. So this harkens again back to Genesis chapters 1 and 2. The re Jewish readers would be very familiar with this. It's there that we read, God made the world for us. All of nature God created for mankind. And he gave man the honor, respect, and dignity of saying, it's all yours to rule over. That's why when the animals are paraded before Adam, what does he do? He names them. Back in the day, to name something was to declare your authority over. It's all under your subjection. This is why Christians should be the best ecologists on the planet. We steward the planet. We don't waste it. We should be on the front edge, right? We should be leading the charge in terms of what good ecology looks like, understanding, though, that salvation doesn't come through recycling. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> salvation comes through Jesus Christ, but we are called to be stewards of the earth, and God has given us the dignity and the honor of doing that. But you get this reality check. At present, we don't yet see everything under our control. Well, that's an understatement. We see disease, famine, pandemic, we see a lot of gnarly stuff. It doesn't, sometimes it doesn't feel like we are on top of the world. It feels like the world is on top of us, crushing us. At present, we don't yet see everything in subjection to man. However, there will come a day because the author says, for it was not to angels that God subjected, what? The world to come. Now he's talking about the world to come. He's not talking about this world. One day, Jesus will return. It's Advent season, but Christians live sort of in this, this middle earth, if you will. If some of you are following me, it's like this middle ground between the first Advent and the second Advent. Jesus came as a baby the first time. No reputable historian doubts the existence of a Jesus of Nazareth. He came once. That tells you he's coming again. First time he came in humility as a child. Book of Revelation describes him coming as a king who rules. So, more about that, by the way, from Pastor Hudson next week, Jesus' role as king. 
for a little while, we have been made lower than the angels. We don't see the world under our feet. We don't see things fully realized, but we do see something. Someday, you will have greater glory than any angel. You know, you just take a second and think about the people around you to your left and your right. You realize that one day they will be greater than any angel. Some of you are smiling and saying impossible. I know, right? Kind of a weird thought. That's the future glory that is to be revealed for the people of God. But we don't see that right now. And that's really hard. Um, so where's the encouragement? He tells you. We don't see our future fully realized, but don't be disheartened. Here's what we do see, verse 9. But we see him who also for a little while was made lower than the angels. Who's he talking about? He tells you, namely Jesus. He left his place on high in humility, took on the form of a man. Philippians chapter 2. Crowned with glory and honor. Why? Because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, Jesus is the clearest. How do you know who God is? You know God only by knowing Jesus Christ. Jesus was full of grace and truth. That actually comes from God. That's why you read that, that God is gracious. By the grace of God, Jesus might taste death for everyone. All right, so let's talk about this for a second. It's like, and I've been asked this question before. People say, I'm totally cool with Jesus, but just don't understand the whole, why did he have to die? That's an excellent question. If you're at all curious about Jesus, you must be asking that question. I said a couple weeks ago, think about this. Jesus comes on the scene, and he seems like a super cool guy in every way. He's like feeding people that are poor. He's healing people that are sick. He's saying the most profound things. It's like his words lead, lead to life. Everybody wants to be around him. And they killed him. What? Why would they do that? Um, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Jesus wasn't this ordinary citizen. He, he was the king who left this place, came to earth, born as in human flesh, and then he dies on a cross. They crucify him. He ends up tasting death. Why? All right. So the older I get, the more I realize the truthfulness of the Bible as it specifically speaks to the human condition. It's like at my age, there's just no way that you can, uh, you can doubt this, all right? So the Bible's very clear in telling us that every single person, man, woman, and child, is a sinner. We don't hear that word very often, but essentially what that means is that you and I were born into a dysfunctional relationship with the God who created us. It's a big problem. But God is a God of love, and so he, he wants to work through that dysfunction. If you have a dysfunctional relationship in your life, you know how bad, you know, you love that person, you really, you'll do anything to remove that dysfunction. The problem is, the wages of sin is death. It's really bad news. So there's a very high cost to this dysfunction. And by the way, we're the ones that bring the dysfunction in, the, in this relationship because our overwhelming tendency is to do our own thing and to live our lives apart from God. God can't turn a blind eye to, to all that. See, otherwise he wouldn't be just and holy. He has to deal with sin. The wages of sin is death. The author of Hebrews says that Jesus tasted death for everyone. What that means is that he died in your place. 
So as he's hanging on the cross, he's taking upon himself all the junk, all the hurt, all the wrongs that you've inflicted on other people and the harm that you brought into your own life, all of that gets placed on Jesus. So for those who have embraced what Jesus did for them on the cross, God looks at you through those lenses now. And your sin debt, your wage, has actually been paid by Jesus. Martin Luther called it the great exchange. You give Jesus all of your junk, he gives you eternal life. Really good deal for you. Make sure you don't pass that up. So Jesus, text says, that he had to taste death for each one of us. So there's, uh, there's this other really cool thing that happens as Jesus tastes death for us because he does so in human flesh. Therefore, he becomes extremely relatable. Verse 14, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who, who were in fear of death, and therefore they were subject to lifelong slavery. Here's what he's saying. The fear of death for many, many people keeps them enslaved their entire lives. So, being in pastoral ministry for almost 30 years, I have had a front row seat to some of the most intimate moments of a, of a person's life as they face death. I can tell you I've been at the bedside of those who don't know Jesus and they are terrified. They are terrified because they're asking the question, what's next? What about my soul? What awaits me on the other side? And they're absolutely terrified and, and they realize that all of their life, you know, they, they've, they've, it's just been one long effort to avoid death and all of a sudden they're hooked up to these machines and they know this is it. I'm not getting out of here alive. Everything that I built my life on is about to be exposed in some way. All of my truth claims are going to be exposed to truth or they're going to be revealed as lies in that moment. In part, isn't this the reason for like a, you know, a midlife crisis? Because you're, you're constantly, you know, you're thinking, wait a minute, now how, how, half my life is over. That happened fast. And, you know, some of you are concerned about me with my hairstyle. Don't worry, I'm going to get it cut this week. <laughs> I appreciate that. It's not a midlife thing. Don't worry, you know. Thank you. I'll take it as love. I've told you before, there's only one opinion that counts. And whose is it? Thank you, my wife. <laughs> but isn't this how it goes in life? You begin thinking these thoughts, and all of a sudden you're hit with your own mortality, and it happens fast. And you're like, whoa, what's that? And you've, you've been enslaved to the fear of death. It's like he's describing this crazy battle that's going on. In fact, he actually uses this kind of, of language. For it was fitting that he, Jesus, for whom and by whom all things exist, this is a very lofty picture of Jesus, by whom all things exist, for him all things exist. It was fitting that Jesus brings many sons to glory. He's talking about creating a new family now. That he should make the founder of their salvation, that God should make the founder of their salvation, our salvation, perfect. Jesus was made perfect through his own suffering. Jesus, look at what it says, was made perfect through his own suffering. Um, in a second, we're going to read that Jesus is considered a sympathetic high priest. You've heard us say many times, pain is God's megaphone. It's God's way of drawing you closer to him. When things are going great in your life, right, it's kind of like God who? Then all of a sudden you hit it. You're in a pit and you're like, um, I have nowhere to look but up. 
Pain is God's megaphone. Jesus took on flesh and blood. He understands that. There's that moment when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he prays, is there a plan B? Let this cup pass from me, not my will. He lived, he spent every moment of his life submitting his will to the will of the Father. He said, not my will, but your will be done. There is no plan B. Jesus had to endure the cross. And what you learn from this is that Jesus was made perfect through his own suffering. That makes him so relatable. There's one other really cool word here that I want to highlight for you that gets lost in our English translation. The word founder, and I think I mentioned this before, that word can also be translated as champion. And I actually think that's the way it should be translated in this text, knowing the Jewish audience. So back in the day, when uh, one tribe went to war with another tribe, instead of sending all of your, uh, your soldiers out there in battle and having half of them wiped out, what you would do is each camp would send a representative, what was known as a champion. This is why in the story of David and Goliath, you see it go down like that, right? The Philistines, they say, we're going to send forth our champion, and it's Goliath, and it's this dude who's big and he's bad, and the Israelites, oh, hold on a second. Um, we need to send out a champion, winner take all. Any takers? And here comes this little guy, right? And he's like, I'll do it. And everybody's like, anyone else? <laughs> and nobody says anything. But this kid's a diamond in the rough. And the reason why is because this, this, kid's a, this kid has faith in God. He's like, why is he taunting my God? Oh, oh God is going to take care of him. No problem. No problem. Just give me a few stones and we'll, we'll, we'll resolve this. Champion against champion. So now what the author says is that Jesus is your champion. There's this battle going on between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan, between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness, between the kingdom of, of death and the kingdom of life. And each has a champion. And so actually the battle already started. And in the first couple chapters, it didn't look good for our team. Because our champion is sent out, that's what Christmas is about, takes on flesh, and then all of a sudden, you know, in, in kind of what you think might be the last scene, you hope it's not, but the, our champion is nailed to a cross and he dies, and it's like, oh, mm, okay, are we going to take the L here, team? And then all of a sudden, three days later, what happens? Jesus is like, I told you so. I told you so. So then everything changes in the Christian community. You start hearing these statements, Christians are, are like, hey, death. This is taunting. It's like, it's like first century smack talk. Where's your sting? Hey, grave. Where's your power? You have none. Because my champion took on your champion. See, all the power that your champion had was to enslave us in death. And the thing about death is it seems so permanent. No. Death is now the grand entrance to what you cannot imagine lies ahead. Death holds a great victory for the Christian because our champion won. Cool language, right? If you're in the first century and you're getting ready to face it, this is exactly the word. This is good pastoring right here. Great writing. 1 Corinthians 2.9, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, you can't even begin to imagine 
what God has prepared for those who love him. If you could be in the Garden of Eden before its sin-tainted moment, you'd be like, wow, look at all this, man, it's amazing. Imagine, you know, it's like you walk up to these wild creatures, you know, and with no fear, you're petting a lion. You grab an orange, you pull it off, it's the sweetest, juiciest orange you've ever had, you know, and it's like, it's all there. And then all of a sudden, sin enters the world and you get all this, everything's fudged up and it will be recreated. And you can't even imagine how good it's going to be. And there's more. You get placed in the special family. Verse 11, for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified, set apart for God's purposes, they all have one source. That source is God the Father. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, imagine this. Imagine God singing your praise. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. Imagine Jesus doing this for you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Therefore, he, Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Why? So that he might become a merciful and faithful, here it is, high priest in the service of God to make propitiation, which is a big word that simply means payment. The wages of sin is death. See how the Bible fits together so beautifully? There's a payment that you owe. Jesus made it for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when he, look at this, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is huge. Um, A priest was someone that you went to. If you come from a Catholic background, you understand the role of a priest. You go to a priest to give you help. Or if you come from a Jewish background, it would be a rabbi, someone there to help you. The best form of help comes from someone who can relate to you. It's like when you're going through something and you open up and, and you're talking to another person and they say, you know what, I've experienced that and I know exactly what you're going through. Let me speak a word to your heart. And they say something to you and it's just like this salve, this salve that just comes over you. And you feel like your soul, maybe it was once kind of dirty, it just gets scrubbed clean because they get you. Jesus took on human flesh so that he could be a faithful high priest, sympathetic. Where do you go in times of help? No one can say, Jesus, you don't know what it's like. Jesus says, actually, my friend, I do. I know what it's like to be tempted by Satan personally. I know what it's like to have such a physical desire. I was out, I was fasting for 40 days and Satan approached me and said, "Uh, go ahead and satisfy that physical craving you have It's intense, and do it apart from God. I know what that's like. Uh, Jesus knows what it's like to lose a loved one. He knows what it's like to be stabbed in the back by a best friend. I've said that it's going to sound strange to some, but in Jesus' day, it would have been expected at his age, in his early 30s, that he would be married, have a good career, and have a solid home. Instead, he was single, he was homeless, and he was a virgin. Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed uh, by the very people that he loved. When you go through pain and heartache, and it's challenging, and it's that time of the year where more people look forward to the holidays ending than starting, there's, there's a lot of stuff floating around your orbit right now that's, that's really painful and challenging. Jesus knows. 
You know, most sermons, they end with the preacher thinking through, what's the application for the congregation? I don't, I'm not, I, I really don't want you to do anything. I want you to consider Jesus as your sympathetic high priest. How about that? Okay? And then what that means for you and for what you're facing, what you're going through. Not that concerned on you leaving here doing something. I'm more concerned that you leave here having your heart melted by who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Because that's going to change you. So, Father, uh, so much can be said, such a rich text. Thank you for it. Thank you for the way that it ministers to us. Let me uh, personalize it, how it ministers to me personally. Father, I pray that your spirit would speak to every heart in the room, especially those that might be far from you. And they're not here by accident. They're listening online. This isn't an act. It's all, it's all according to your will. Father, I pray that your spirit would move in such a profound way that we would, we would see you, Jesus, in a new way for who you really are as our sympathetic high priest who understands us, whom we can go to. Ultimately, every human relationship will let us down. But because you took on flesh, you understand, endured perfectly. God, everything we say, everything we do, we want it to be under your hand of blessing because we recognize, Jesus, you are the champion. We understand that now, but what fully awaits us, God, we have yet to experience. We don't see that, but what we do see is Jesus. Father, we're so grateful. We pray that more and more each day we would live in the light of what that means and what Jesus does for us on our behalf. All for your glory in the name of our champion. His name is Jesus Christ and God's people said, amen.